The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello everyone and welcome to the Provoke podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, Provoke's EMEA editor, and I'm joined today uh, by two leaders from an agency we've had our eye on since it was founded exactly four years ago. Um, We named it as one of our new agency of the year finalists in EMEA in 2018. Um, That's Milk and Honey PR. The buzz around the agency, if you'll excuse the B-related has proved to be spot on. Milk and Honey has been ahead of the curve on areas such as environment, social good, sustainability, female leadership and diversity in this industry from the very start and it was one of the very first PR firms to become a B Corp. So here with me today is founder and managing partner Kirsty Leeton, named as one of our 25 innovators in EMEA for 2020. Kirsty's a real inspiration in her commitment to doing business better. And uh, she's a much loved figure in the UK industry, bringing empathy, energy, and enthusiasm to everything she does, including stints at agencies, Tex 100, We, Weber Shamwick, Edelman. And before she started Milk and Honey, she was MD of Hudson Sandler. Um, also joining me from Milk and Honey is Fiona Gilday, who joined last August from Red Consultancy as a partner to lead on strategy, purpose and sustainability, especially for clients involved with brand activism and social change. At Red, Fiona was the client partner and lead strategist for Huawei and has also worked in senior roles at Mullenlow, Karmarama and Ketchum. So Kirsty and Fee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What lovely words, Maya. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for having us. It's great it, to be here. It's great to have you both here. First off, I have to ask, uh, because Cirques, uh, how are you both doing in the UK's Lockdown 3, which is the sequel none of us wanted to, to be made, frankly? <laughs> Kirsty, how are you doing? Oh, my goodness. Well, the good thing is that we've rehearsed this to death now, so we've, uh, <laughs> we've, we're ready for it. Bring it on. Um, I think one of the difficult things is, is not really knowing exactly how long it's going to last for. So psychologically, we've kind of said to ourselves and to the team, Let's just focus month to month. We'll do our planning quarterly, um, and we've got we've got what we've what we've done around that is to put a number of little sprints in place. So those are little campaigns that we're running internally within the organisation that we've given a four to six week window to make sure that yes, we're doing some great client work, but actually as a business, we're continuing to deliver on all of those ambitions that you kindly highlighted at the top there. That's cool. I love the idea of a four week. I think we're ready. Yeah, I think um, from my side, um, certainly this lockdown feels very, very different. And and actually, I think um, from a personal perspective, I'm not really thinking about it as a lockdown as much as kind of an opportunity to to regroup and and have some planning time, quite frankly. Obviously, we're spending a lot of time connecting with the team, making sure they're okay. But I think a massive benefit that I've found from all of this is that um, you're able to get a little bit more headspace and carve out pieces of time to really think about, you know, what the future holds. Um, So in terms of looking at obviously what we're going to be doing from a purpose perspective and, and digging a little bit more into ESG and things like that, I'm finding it hugely beneficial. Um, So, yeah, I think um, it's slightly cliched, but just trying to see the positives in it and and find the joy as much as possible. I love that. Um, Knowing you two, I feel we could probably chat for hours about everything under the sun, preferably with a glass of something cold and bubbly at some point in real life. Um, Since we're all on Zoom sheltering from the January rain and uh, a deadly virus. Um, 
Tell me and our listeners something cheering. What's good and cause for optimism in the world of comms and business at the moment? Oh, what a great question. Do you know what? I think one of the things that I am most proud of is how actually, especially especially as a London um, PR community, how everyone's really just joined together, kind of held hands virtually and just really being kind to one another. Mm. There's lots and lots of wonderful sharing going on. There's best practice going on. There's um, agency leads and just all getting in touch with one another to see how they can help. So that in itself, I think, has been really really lovely and I think it says an awful lot about us as a as an industry that we're all looking to to be better to support one another and and to be as as professional as as humanly possible to do some really great work and through wonderful organizations such as the PRCA and indeed yourselves then that really helps join us all together so I think we we do feel like an extended family especially now none of us are are in the offices so I think I think that's been one of the things that I've really that I've really found incredibly helpful um, in the last God almost nine months now. I know it's it's been a while. I don't think anyone has ex- expected us to be back here uh, nearly a year on, but I would totally agree with you. It's just it was really notable in um, kind of in April, end of March, April, May last year, particularly when everyone was just like, right, this is this is hard, let's work together. And I thought there was that, that, that real human aspect um, of that. And I think there's something really special about the London PR scene as well, in that you are all competitors and collaborators and mates. And um, it, it was really noticeable, actually. It's like people are actually missing each other and setting up little WhatsApp groups between agency leaders and, and sharing and, and, and comforting. Um, I, I thought it was really really lovely actually and that does seem to have been um, continued what about you Fee what do you think's good at the moment I'd absolutely agree with you both there you know again I suppose kind of almost connecting the two things we've been talking about one of the the loveliest things to come out of all of this is is people who you maybe haven't you know heard from in in 10-15 years coming out of the woodwork and sort of saying hello and, and reconnecting Um, But I think definitely for me, just even the fact we're having this conversation today, um, even the fact that, you know, sort of the the climate crisis and, um, you know, ESG and all of these things has really come onto our industry's radar um, in a way, you know, you've obviously got people setting up um, propositions around it. And, and people seem really energized about it. And I think that, you know, we need to keep that going and, and keep this collaboration going in order to kind of really affect anything that is meaningful. Um, and frankly, it's also the, the only way that we're gonna get there. And, and I think, you know, it's always something, I, I often joke with my brother, cause he's actually in the ad industry, you know, about the, the sort of, um, what's the kind of politically correct way of putting this? I'm not sure, you know, just some of the um, posturing, I suppose, that has traditionally gone on in that industry. And and I think that's not to make it a them versus us, but I do think that as comms professionals, because we've naturally had to evolve into really fully understanding businesses and and our clients to be able to, to do our jobs, I think we're kind of, you know, we tend to be natural communicators. We tend to enjoy, um, you know, hanging out with each other. And um, I, I think it is something actually that's very special. And again, it's it's definitely, as I've already said, an energy that I really want us to kind of pull through as an industry into 2021, because, um, you know, there's still a lot of hard work ahead of us in terms of these issues that we're going to be tackling. 
Yeah, there certainly is. Um, Kirsty, I want to go back a step because uh, before we kind of leap forward, because I know you guys have got some really exciting initiatives on at the moment. But going back to the beginning of Milk and Honey, when you were thinking about setting the firm up over four years ago, what was your kind of approach and philosophy and how's that evolved as the business has grown to what, 30 people now? Yeah, God, I know it's incredible. Four years ago, literally four years ago this week, it was me on my on my own. And now there's 30 of us across the London and Sydney, Australia office, which is really exciting. So I'm incredibly fortunate. I've worked for some of the best agencies that exist, both independent and those that are a part of, um, of, of, of bigger holding companies. I've worked with some truly inspiring, brilliant individuals. And, and I've also had the opportunity to kind of work in lots of different types of PR. So I started out in consumer, then went very strongly into technology, then into digital, then to corporate, um, then I was doing kind of more brand work. And then latterly I was doing um, capital markets and, and, and financial comms. Or, and so I've been incredibly fortunate that I've kind of seen the comms landscape from, from a number of different vistas. And it got to the stage where I thought, actually, do you know what? I've, uh, I've, I've had these wonderful experiences working with some phenomenal brands, but I'm, I'm getting a bit long in the tooth now. What I would really, really love is to be able to just work with nice people who know what they want to achieve, where we're not just doing press office work, we're doing some thinking. We're able to, to design campaigns that will really influence change. Um, and to work with great people who are not all from the same ilk, do not see the world through the same lens, that mm. will enable us all to be better communicators and to just be really picky about the type of work that we do. And I'm incredibly fortunate that we've been able to do that. So we've now grown, as you rightly say, to a team of 30 people, which is just blows my mind. Um, but importantly, every one of those individuals really brings something different only three of the 30 that we've um, that we've brought on board have been replacement hires. Everybody else has been an investment hire. So we were able, really able to, to take our time and think about actually what different skills, what different global perspectives do we want to bring into the organization that will help round off our offer. And our offer predominantly is around, uh, about, around corporate brand and reputation. And so from that perspective, we've been able to, to really put together a, a diverse group of, of individuals who see the world differently. We don't specialize by sector, so we work with quite a, a diverse uh, community of clients. All of our clients are, are, are doing some really exciting work. We get to work with the decision makers, which is again is, is, is a real blessing. Um, and on the back of that, I'm delighted to say that every client that we've worked with for more than, for more than nine months, we've won some sort of industry recognition for the work that we've been doing so that I think kind of speaks for itself that we've got a highly motivated team doing some exciting work so it's uh, it's been it's been a real joy to come into work every day actually um, which <laughs> no, is not many people can say that I guess I was gonna say not many people can say that it's lovely to hear Fee tell me about your role and what what you were brought in to do and what you're trying to achieve well I think Kirsty's actually set it up brilliantly in terms of to be frank, one of the main reasons I joined Milk and Honey was, was I mean, obviously because of Kirsty herself and, and everything that she'd already set up and, and, and the way she'd organised the business with this very, very people-led, genuinely kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, but I think, again, the, the beauty of that is she's really kind of given me the, the room to, to shape it along with the team. 
Um, and, and I think the key thing for us um, through kind of the various sort of discussions and planning that we've been doing in recent months is that, you know, it's not just about me kind of coming in and setting up a division or an offer, like actually it's kind of looking at, right, how, how can we go further here um, and really become a purpose driven business ourselves and, and help our, our clients to do the same. Um, and I think certainly kind of a massive priority for me right now, other than obviously just assessing the, the lay of the land in terms of our, our client landscape is really kind of helping them to get to grips quickly with the, the key issues at hand and sort of take meaningful action. So I think to kind of explain that a little bit more tangibly, you know, everybody is obviously talking about ESG. Um, it, it seems to be the buzzword along with purpose that was kind of on everyone's lips, um, particularly in the last, I would say, 12 to 18 months. Mm. Um, but I think, and I, I'm saying this in the, in the kindest possible way, you know, I don't actually think any of us uh, really have the answers here. And I think even when you look at ratings agencies and indeed management consultancies who specialise in this area, you know, nobody has necessarily nailed this. And I think again, kind of coming full circle to what we were talking about earlier on, you know, I think it's it's about being honest about that and not being afraid to collaborate and, you know, being willing to bring um, outside experts into the mix to really kind of make it happen and, and, and deliver properly on it. Um, because I think what a, what a, a lot of companies um, and businesses are doing um, and indeed um, what is happening within the industry itself is that you know people are kind of taking initiatives particularly CSR and sustainability initiatives wrapping them up in a report and, and kind of using them to I suppose tick the ESG box without kind of fully looking at okay what is what is going on in my business in my business model what is going on in my value chain um, and, um, you know, to be honest with you, that was a, a massive motivation for me doing the, the Cambridge Sustainability course, which I know an awful lot of people within the industry have done, because it just got to a point where I was like, you know, this is this is just much bigger than I can possibly get to grips with, um, you know, just by sort of reading around and, and, and self-educating. Um, so, Maya, that's an incredibly lengthy, lengthy answer. But I think, you know, hopefully it's very important, I think, to Kirsty and I that, you know, we are upfront about the fact that this is a journey and it's definitely a journey that we want to be super ambitious about, but also want to help take the rest of the industry on. So what, what more can the industry do? I mean, you mentioned bringing in more outside experts then rather than just being in our kind of little comms bubble tell me a bit uh, tell me a bit more about what what we what action can be taken practically by in-house and agency comms council around the areas of ESG and sustainability for business yeah absolutely I mean I think um almost touching on what I just said um a major action that I think a lot of us can take is is just being a little bit honest about our bs factor and kind of knowing when to bring in actually kind of really um deep experts to help um do things better and and deliver things in in a meaningful way so for example you know I know obviously uh, a massively hot topic recently and, and I don't want it's a hot topic, but also it's a very important issue to, to be dealt with, is the whole kind of DNI piece that, that has come into light around, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and the issue of allyship. Well, it's really crucial, you know, when you're doing that work to, um, to 
to bring somebody in to kind of help you do it effectively and help you deliver like meaningful targets, but also to actually help you shape the language, the communication, the connection with the communities affected. Um, and I think also that, you know, understandably, because we're all in our little London bubble, um, a big thing that we can also do um, in terms of client counsel is just look beyond kind of the head office and the messages that are going out and look at actually operationally kind of what businesses are doing. How are they treating people within their value chains? You know, where are they getting their supplies? Um, all of that stuff is going to start to become more front and centre because there's obviously kind of increasing scrutiny and transparency around it, both coming from investors and then also coming from um, customers and consumers themselves. Um, I think the other thing that I would say that people really need to be doing, which has obviously started to happen and is a massive positive, is uh, really we all need to just get more honest and transparent. So it's brilliant that we're setting these often science based um, targets, but actually there's no shame in kind of coming back and saying, right, we haven't quite hit that, but, you know, this is why and this is what we're going to do about it. And indeed, you know, when I first got into this kind of area and space, um, thanks mainly to, uh, to, to Caroline Taylor, um, probably about five or six years ago. Um, you know, that was a massive thing that I learned from Unilever. And, and again, something that I think they, they do do brilliantly. Okay, they're not perfect, but they are super transparent. They're always kind of um, reporting on, you know, where they've missed the mark and what they're going to do about it. Um, and I think, you know, we've maybe traditionally shied away from that, even in quite consultative agencies for fear of, you know, upsetting the client. And, and we just don't have the time not, not to go there, quite frankly. Mm. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of parallel uh, between everyone needing to shift towards a greater focus on ESG. And yet we're all having to deal with doing business completely uh differently um through the through the pandemic what's been the impact of um the events of 2020 on that focus of ESG has it enhanced it has it made it harder as it uh, has accelerated things what's the what what's been the interplay between those two factors so I'm sure um Kirsty is going to have a, a view on this as well you know particularly from an investor relation um perspective but I think there's kind of been a, an interesting interplay as you describe it. And, and we've almost got quite an interesting tension going on. So I think on the one hand, it's, it's massively come to the fore. It's on everybody's agenda. It is the buzzword on everybody's lips, um, which is brilliant. You know, it's, it's good to have that awareness. But I think the interesting tension for me is that, you know, even in The Guardian this morning, you know, Phoebe Weston was talking about the fact that we've got this kind of potential ghastly mass extinction on our hands is the way she described it based on a report that's come out around the UN's biodiversity um, goals not being hits mm. and and I think that is the is the big thing for me for an agent for an industry excuse me that you know is so ever evolving always kind of looking outside of itself just by its very nature um, in spite of the pandemic being kind of effectively almost a dummy run, um, you know, for kind of what would happen if we experienced a massive climate issue. Um, I'm not sure that we're really having those conversations. And crucially, I'm not sure enough people are having those conversations with their clients and saying, look, your business is effectively at risk here. What's your plan? You know, it's not just about hitting ESG targets. It's actually like, what's your plan? How are you shoring yourselves up? Um, and I think just quickly to give a, a tangible example of that, you know, Apple obviously 
even before the pandemic kind of experienced it in a massive way in terms of their operations in in China being affected um partially due to you know all of the um much as I don't like to say his name uh Trump's kind of interference with, with Huawei and, and all of that business but you know that that effectively is um you know if, if, if a cataclysmic event was going to take place that's exactly what would happen um and again I, I very much don't want to get on my soapbox here because it doesn't motivate people you know but um I, I just don't think people are, are grasping the urgency and I think crucially our, I don't think our clients are grasping the urgency either. Kirsty what are your thoughts? I think from our perspective well you know what I'm like Maya I, I love to get involved in conversations but then I'm much more about okay so what are we going to do about it so one of the things that I wanted us to do um as a business as Milk and Honey was to dem- was to kind of you know walk the walk what is it that we're doing if we're saying that we care about this then then what was the proof point the evidence that we're putting behind it and that was a huge driver for us in becoming b Corp certified back in in 2019 we were one of i think we were only the fifth marketing agency in europe to get the uh, to get the accreditation and for those that don't know b Corp looks at ethical environmental and socially responsible um, behaviors across a multitude of areas from looking after your workforce looking after uh, you know being mindful about the the um, supply chain that you're working within thinking about your impact on on environmental elements and not just uh, not just from a carbon perspective but also from a water perspective from a plastic perspective and then on the back of that we wanted to take it a step or two further so once we got our accreditation we wanted to make sure that we would continue to move forward so we've since then been accredited as plastic neutral we're in the process of getting our um, carbon neutral accreditation through and we've got ambitions beyond that to be part carbon net positive by um, by July this year. And so there's there's a whole host of things that we're looking at in terms of the types of work that we're doing with whom we're working mm. um, and also how we're behaving ourselves and making sure that everything that we're going out to market and saying is important to us, we've actually got a, a, a demonstrable, we've got some demonstrable evidence in what are we doing? What's our contribution to the greater whole? So um, from, our, from my perspective, it's very much about really understanding how we can you know kind of walk that walk and picking up on on the other point that Fiona was just alluding to there as well around DNI I think for us as a as an industry um you know diversity has been a problem for some time as a, a PR here in in the UK is 67 percent female the average age is 33 we're predominantly white 85 percent heterosexual um only four percent disabled 80 percent with undergraduate degrees according to and we're still predominantly run by um, white middle-class middle-aged men and so I also really want us to make sure that we're thinking about how we can how we can kind of solve for some of these issues and there's some wonderful work going on with the blueprint and um, and and beyond that indeed the PRCA is now getting involved in, in running programs as well but I think all of us as individual businesses have a, a bigger contribution to make here. And so rather than just look internally into our business, we've made a commitment 
where we are going to connect 250 diverse prospects um, to PR careers by 2025. Now, clearly, we're not going to go out and, and, and um, appoint 250 um, candidates ourselves. And so that's about, again, looking for ways that we can that we can work within the industry, outside of the industry, with our kind of our friends and, and, and colleagues in, in other agencies and indeed a client side. But for us to really make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable for doing something positive and driving a change and measuring that rather than just talking about it. That's amazing. So 250 candidates, where are they, where are they coming from? What, 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 how's that scheme? How are you running all of that? Well, again, this kind of as this comes back to, to these kind of sprints that we're putting together. So this particular sprint, we've we've looked at diversity inclusion, and for us as well, it's belonging is is a desperately important part of that. So yes, we need to be diverse. Yes, people need to feel included, but they also need to feel that they belong there, that it's a right for them. Mm. So we've kind of broken it down into um, into kind of five key action points, if you will. So the consideration really is for us that we need to broaden our lens on diversity in terms of age, ethnicity, religion, sexuality, gender, neurodiversity and disability. I think we, we've, we've talked about sexuality increasingly around gender, around ethnicity for some time, but age, neurodiversity and disability don't necessarily get as much visibility. And I think that's something that we want to try and get and get get right there. So the five kind of key areas that, that we're looking to commit on are boosting visibility as a career option and really helping helping to work with, um, with schools and colleges and further education colleges and universities to broaden the appeal or, and the mystique of exactly what it is that we do mm. um, to, a, to a broader community. Now, since we started as Milk and Honey, we've always, always had an internship program. We've had a work placement program. And indeed, we've been working with, uh, with our kind of local Wandsworth um, council to open up for um for 15 year olds to come and do kind of work placements as well so again we're kind of giving them lifting the the veil a little there and, and letting letting those people who are thinking about their future careers really understand what PL might look like we want to increase access through knowledge sharing internships mentoring series um client to, to we're putting together a series of clinics that we're working with the PRCA to ensure that we're getting that kind of visibility on what a career could look like and then ensuring that we're that we're illustrating that so again picking up on some of the great work that Elizabeth Vandernuk is doing from um from a BMA pros perspective and the work that she's doing with Blueprint but extending that out a little further beyond um beyond the um kind of race side of things to to those kind of broader areas that we were looking at we want as well to make sure that we're we're continuing to raise some industry standards i mean different groups respond to how they got into to pr differently um but it's interesting to note that we are still seen seen somewhat as a trade rather than a profession and i think there's some work to be done there to continue to professionalize the work that we are doing so that it becomes more attractive to parents and to um, school and, and college leavers in the first instance. And then of course, one of the things that we've focused on in the last year or so ourselves is, is introducing people into PR from other careers. So we've had people come in from, who have been bakers, we've had others that have been actors, we've had others that have been um, writers. Um, and we've had two people come and join us in, in their fifties in the last year. And again, that's great because 
it's not just appealing to people who are starting their career, but people who, who want to reignite um, what's possible within their career and, and look at, at PR as, a, as, a, as an exciting alternative where you can take some learnings from, from you know, your life up until that point and to kind of recontextualize it and add some richness indeed to the campaigns that we're putting together for our clients. This is very ambitious stuff. I mean, it's like it it's required though, isn't it? I mean, the industry simply cannot. I and mean, we there's hand wringing every time there's an industry survey about uh, demographics, background, race, um, balance. Uh, the gender pay gap is not going anywhere. It's, I, I mean, it's, I find it really interesting that your focus is on not just doing the hand wringing, but actually trying to do something about it across the broadest possible measure but it is really ambitious Kirsty, and you're also running an agency for your clients so I mean how how doable is all of this and what sort how long is it going to take before the picture uh, of the industry changes do you think well you know me Maya um, I'm a real one that that believes that you know if you don't make a plan and make it and and shoot for the moon you you you're not going to get to the stars and i think mm -hmm. as an industry there are certain things that we've been talking about for too long and so let's stop talking about it and let's start doing something about it and i think again it's very easy for agencies in particular to to focus to focus almost exclusively on their clients to the detriment of their own brand and their own contribution as an employer and as a business and um and I want, and I think I can speak for the whole team, you know, within our organization, we're an LLP. And so we are, after two years, everybody in the, in the business, irrespective of, of what level of seniority becomes a co-owner. And so because of that, we're buying into a shared ambition. And we don't just take, so every, nobody works on more than five clients. So we've got enough time to really focus on our clients, but also to think about what it is that we want to deliver as a business. As a business, we then decide, okay, how are we going to make sure that something happens? And if it's something that's part of somebody's job responsibility, then it always falls to the bottom of the list. So the way we've got around that is rather than saying, okay, you know, you're responsible for marketing, you're responsible for DNI and belonging, you're responsible for, for strategy, you're responsible for creative, and we'll kind of keep these things going, is that we've, we've put together a number of sprints. And so a number of people across the organization come together for a four to six week period of time. And in that time, we look at what we want to do, what we need to do as a business, what our contribution is going to be, what our bigger goal is, and then get on and make it happen. Then the keeping, then the keeping delivering on it then just happens over the rest of the year. So for example, we are working at the moment to, um, on a DNI. Um, Sprint, which is to connect 250 diverse candidates into PR by 2025. We're working on a carbon neutrality um, sprint at the moment, which is to be carbon net positive by H2 this year, which for us is is um, is July. And and then uh, and we're also working on um, enabling a third of our team to be co-owners by the end of the year. So there's, there's, and for a company that's only four years old, to make sure that you've got a third of the team that's, you know, that's been there for two years plus is, is a great place to be. And the way we're able to do that, because luckily we try to create an inspiring workplace where everyone feels involved. And so because they're so committed and so involved, 
you know, fingers crossed, they don't leave. Yeah. Um, but then within that, we then break it down and say, okay, how, how are we going to deliver that? What are the activities that fit under that? And then how do we prove to market? We also try to take each of, one of our values each year and say, okay, how do we demonstrate that? So for example, in 2019, the value that we took was, um, was respect. Now, again, it's great to say that's the way that we're going to behave. That's what you can expect from us. But we need to then bring that to life. And for us, we brought that to life through our B Corps accreditation and the delivery there. Then last year, our focus was on collaboration. So that's collaboration internally and collaboration externally. And on the back of that, we were able to very kindly, and thank you very much for that, we got Provoke's um, best agency to work for in the UK. We were also recognized by um, PR Week and PRCA for, for the same elements, which was which was really exciting. We got PRCA's um, diverse uh, diversity and inclusion champion last year as well, which is great. So, And we were also able to get our investors in people. In fact, we got our investors in people accreditation in a week in May, and then um, and then we actually won their um, best uh, employer of the, of the year as well last year. So that so that was brilliant. So this year, our our kind of value that we're looking to really illustrate is around loyalty, and for us, that's loyalty to to deliver on the on the promises that that we that we've made out to market. It's loyalty to our clients and making sure that we're continuing to challenge and be brave about the campaigns that we put in place. And it's loyalty to one another. Um, and so part of the proof points that we're putting around that is, um, is around this, this kind of co-ownership predominantly. Um, so, so that's just an illustration of, of making sure that everything that we say we're going to do, we then, we then have to prove it um, and, then to, and then to kind of go beyond. And so everything we try to do is is for our team, for our clients, for our business, for our industry, for our planet. This is, I'm, I'm kind of exhausted. Just, just <laughs> I'm really fun that. to work with. <laughs> Especially with the word sprint behind everything. It's like, oh my God, your energy is astonishing. It's amazing. Now, talk to me a bit about this, this collaboration piece. I mean, they're like, you know, I know you're a natural connector, Kirsty, and, and, and fee that kind of collaboration piece we're talking about with ESG and sustainability comes into this as well. What else can the industry work together on beyond competing against each other as agencies, do you think? Where else can the comms industry make strides to support clients in doing business better and communicating better beyond the say sustainability element and beyond diversity? Where else can we kind of do good in the world as communicators. Well, maybe I can kick this off. I'm sure Fiona's, Fiona's got a long list of things that she wants to that she wants to tick off here. I think from up from our perspective, because we're all in the same boat now, we're all having to work from home on our own. So you know, I think that that kind of false um, definition of of you know which tribe you belong to has kind of has kind of extended somewhat, and we see ourselves more as as communications consultants and as um, business owners and contributors. And so th I think that the false walls that we crafted between, between ourselves previously have, have, have come down. I think we're all struggling with the same, with the same challenges. How do we ensure that we're, um, that we're advising our clients properly? How do we ensure that we're looking after our teams? How do we ensure that we're looking after the, the mental, physical, 
um, health of, of ourselves, our families and our teams? Um, how do we try and work from home, school from home? And I think because there's so much, we've got so much more in common now than we've, than we've ever had, mm. just as human beings, then, then the desire to work together to make things better is so much greater. Um, and I think through the PRCA, through yourselves at, at Provoke Media, you've always been a great connector to create opportunities where people come and share advice, share insights through through editorial and, and networking and your awards and the other things that you have going on, but also to then kind of come together and um, and look to creatively solve problems. There's there's been so much just sharing that's that's gone on in the last year because we haven't been able to get together physically. Then there's been lots and lots of insight webinars that have been phenomenally helpful. And again, it's moved from it's moved from from a shared understanding to wanting to to solve problems. I think you know, especially now where we feel that we perhaps don't have as much control of our lives as we'd like to, then we're all as keen as possible to make a make a fundamental difference where we do have some control. And right now, there are things that are happening within our economy and within our society that we don't necessarily have control over. And so therefore we're looking for those opportunities where we can, where we can garner some more control and, and make a difference. Um, and I think especially around um, the commonalities that we have around how do we make our societies better let's start from home and then are our most immediate um, kind of communities around us so let's and then i think we all identify as being in a number of different communities so the, the communities of of you know our, our kind of physical local communities our industry um, and because of that then we're connecting more and more making a difference i mean e even today i wrote a I, um, I wrote a bit of a soppy little blog last night because I was rather missing my mum. I was just having one of those moments where I was missing my mum mm. who passed away um, kind of 16 years ago. And just sharing some of those insights. I've had so many nice notes back from, from industry colleagues. And I, I just think we've realised how much more we have in common. Um, mm -hmm. And because of that, I think we're being a lot kinder to one another and, and, and problem solving. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting going back to the point, our, our point at the beginning, it's a great leveler, a pandemic, isn't it? Because yeah. it has brought a lot of, you know, that value of, of empathy is it's brought to the fore in leadership because you just cannot get through this unless you acknowledge how you're feeling about stuff and how everyone else is feeling about stuff because we can't you can't see somebody's face in 3d even for instance so you've got to really tune into people and I think that those connections are we're making different sorts of connections which are in turn does you know need to share experiences and, sh and shared problem solving Fee what's your experience been of all that kind of connectivity and human stuff and problem solving together I think it's been you know to build on, on what you and Kirsty have been talking about it's there's a lot that's kind of the same so um you know that kind of camaraderie piece that we've, we've already talked about indeed at the beginning of the conversation you know has has been massive mm. um but I think the big thing for me is um Kirsty already kind of touched on on the theme around around mental health but I think this has really made us all realise that it, it just needs to be an absolute priority. It should be as much of a priority as, as physical health. Mm. So again, what I'm really hoping, and indeed, you know, it's already shifting, like we've 
already invested in, in mental health training um, for, um, I believe it's eight members of our team, you know, this year, which obviously then the idea is we can kind of cascade that out. So there's proper kind of support beyond, you know, maybe platitudes or directing them to, to helplines. But I think the big thing, the wider thing for me is like, you know, agency life is brilliant. It, it's fantastic. Um, being in comms is, is a really rewarding, amazing, creative, crazy, how many other adjectives can I throw at this career? Mm-hmm. But it's demanding. It's super demanding. And, and you know, um, we do need to kind of take care of our teams and each other. So I think really for me, it's, it's being evolving into that space of being able to be much more vulnerable as a leader, which I think you touched on. And um, maybe even sometimes saying, look, I'm, I'm not having a great day today, but, it, but it's, you know, it's not you, it's, it's, it's me type thing. So I guess it's, it, I'm really hoping that those, the way we've been doing things, that that positive stuff really carries forward. Um, and um, I absolutely hate the phrase, the new normal, but you know, that we don't just kind of go back to, to, to sort of business as usual. Yeah, I think it's going to be some really, I mean, obviously, where it'd be nice to get back to some elements of business as usual. But I think you're right. There's 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 great chunks of uh, being human in a business context that I think we can we can take forward happily into whatever the the next normal turns out to be. Um, This has been a very interesting discussion. I want to like, like coming back to you guys as human beings before we we wrap up. What habit or hobby or interest have you both taken up over the past year that you think you'll continue post-corona or that you will abandon as soon as you get a chance to? Do you know what? I think for me, I've, I've just been a lot kinder to myself because I've got, like you, Maya, I've got two kids at home that I'm trying. I mean, they're, they're old enough to be able to school themselves, but two teenage boys still need quite a lot of of mum pushing and cajoling and checking. So I've just, I've just kind of, I've really ratcheted down what I expect from myself. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's something that I will, I will continue to take forward. I did start with great ambitions. I was out running every day. Unfortunately, that's come to an end. I need to, so <laughs> I, I need to reawaken that because, um, because the fridge door, I'm getting a tan from opening the fridge door as often as I am right now. <laughs> What about you, Fee? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. Um, I think for me, it's um, this whole situation has really forced me to kind of get out of my comfort zone. Um, so at the beginning, like a lot of people, I was actually my my contract ended, and I had some you know quite a bit of time on my hands. But um, the flip side of that was maybe digging into things and and learning about stuff that I wouldn't normally have have. I've looked at um and again I think we we often kind of it's not that we stop learning but I think maybe we stop investing in ourselves mm. um in the same way um kind of on a on a personal level as much as anything else so I think that's something I definitely like to keep going I really need to rein in the comfort eating um <laughs> so I'll keep you well I'll keep you posted on how that goes yeah I'd say I'd, I think comfort and solace and balm are all very important things and and certainly in our household and partly because I'm half Polish so everything is about food as love and a gift there's a there's a lot of good food provision going on to keep everyone with a smile on their face so um, I wouldn't beat yourself up too much about the comfort eating 
it's just critical and it's like how else do you get through it um ladies thank you both so much for your time it's been an absolutely fascinating discussion love your energy because it doesn't sound like you're ratcheting down anything anytime soon <laughs> lots of big sprints for you both over the the next few months and hopefully you know as we go into Q1 still looks like it's a bit of a write-off, but hopefully Q2 and onwards will will take some really positive things forward out of this. And I'll be, as we have been from the start, watching you guys for interest. So thank you both for letting me virtually hang out in the milk and honey hive for half an hour or so. It's been really fun. Can't wait to see you in real life again, Maya. Oh God, me too. I can't wait till we can get together. Take care, both of you, and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.